This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle this got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park de Prix. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. It's James Scott and Adam with you and... Well, we've got plenty of football to talk about, but it's been a while since the Raw were in action, so we might have to cast a slightly wider net this week. Adam, how are you going? I'm good. Uh, I Raw free weekend, which uh, is, I guess it has its uh, blessing and curses. Yeah, silver linings either way. Scott, how are you? How did you spend your weekend? It was quite relaxing, actually, wasn't it? No football for the first time in a very long time on, on a weekend. And it won't be that case uh, from pretty much now until... I want to say maybe October, give or take. No, I'm taking some weeks off during the season. (laughs) (laughs) We will keep that in mind for the NPL Sunday show, which will be starting soon. Before you know it, this is the Brisbane Football Review. If you're just tuning in on Clutch Radio, this should be an interesting experience, one way or another for you. We hope it's pleasantly interesting. As we go through the past week of uh, actions, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, the email, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football, and you can listen to the podcast on Wooshka, iTunes, uh, A-League Live app, and I really need to stop calling it iTunes, it's Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and several other good podcast platforms. And despite the fact that the Raw sides were in action six and seven days ago from the point of recording, we do have quite a lot to get into as we approach the coming uh, weekend, which should be quite a busy one for us. Adam, what are you thinking, um, what do you think we should start with, the men or the women? Uh, look, uh, let's, let's, uh, well, the women were last Wednesday night, so maybe we start with them. Let's go chronologically. All right, Scott, it was a 2-0 win for Sydney FC, which, considering how it could have gone for the Raw overall, I don't think that was necessarily the worst scoreline, even though they did lose another game. But really, for me, the star of the show was uh, air traffic controller Adam, who spent the second half updating us with the planes flying overhead of uh, where that match was played. Yes, that was highly entertaining, that, wasn't it? A lot of planes coming from Melbourne, I noticed Adam kept saying. I don't know if he was making that up or if there's just a lot of planes from Melbourne. Either way, it wasn't the greatest of games. It was an early goal in each half for Sydney FC that gave them the win. And Look, they were, they were well-deserving of it, but... It was just one of those games where the Raw had a second game in four or five days and they were still overcoming or getting players back from their from their illnesses. So it, it makes sense why the Raw were a little bit flat, but it wasn't the greatest of, of performances, was it? I'll just uh, we'll take one step back and explain the whole airplane thing. Well, if Teo Pelzeri was complaining about early in the thing, I thought I'd oblige and actually name the actual plane. So thank you to my Flight Radar 24 app. Um, but look, I did, I did actually watch the game itself, and uh, yeah, look, uh, I think overall my feeling is that this is um, this is sort of the gulf between the top team in the A League women at the moment and where the Roar is at. Because even though there was a two nil score line, uh, I think the score was highly flattering uh, to the Roar. If I'm if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, and there was the red card for Annie Haffenden just on the hour mark as well, Scott, which. Whatever hope the Raw had for a comeback at that point, that was pretty much done and dusted, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just after they made a change from memory. They were just trying to change things up, and about, what, 30 seconds later, Annabelle Hafner was sent off. And by the way, 
That was the first red card the Adelaide women's team have had in 41 games. Can either of you remember the most, the one most recently, before the last week? It was, was a home it? game, if it helps you. I'm actually... Was it at AJ Kelly Park? Is that your I answer? Thought it might be a, I thought it might be at Lions Stadium. I'm... I'm trying to... It wasn't Hayley Russo at AJ Kelly Park, was it? No. Okay, because I... Oh, oh, Adam actually, is yes. geographically closer, by the way. Oh, okay, I thought it was... He got the ground right. Yeah, oh, no, no, because I, I think I've got it, but... Yeah, I think it might have actually been Katrina Gorey in um, the absolute... Um, the absolute deluge at Lions Stadium against Melbourne Victory, I'm going to say. Yeah, it was. It was a 4-3 win for the Raw. It was a 90-plus-8 red yeah, card. For that's Trinidad. right. 41 games that. ago, so it's a long time in between red cards. Yeah. I thought I thought it might have been Mackenzie Arnold um, head-butting, um, head-butting a Newcastle player as well, but that might have been further back. I'm actually now really doubting my memory of Hayley Russell actually got a red card, so I'm sure I'll probably get something in the comments saying how dare I accuse Russell of that, but... Anyway, um, yeah, I remember that game now, which was, yeah, we were on the... That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that was also one of those games where I remember the three of us were doing the interview with a couple of other people, like the post-game presser at the entrance to the Lion um, Social Club as well uh, afterwards, where we were just all trying to stay dry, and I think Jeff Hopkins came up with like a towel or three around him as well. (laughs) Yeah, at least one. There was just outside the door there, yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, the rule couldn't break down uh, Sydney's defence, but in their defence, pretty much nobody has been able to do that all uh, season in the A-League because Jada Wyman set a, a record, I think, for longest clean sheet streak in the competition from memory. Some kind of yeah. minutes record, wasn't it? It was a pretty good one, but... Uh, 12, 12, hours, 12 hours, 22 minutes, the uh, Sydney squad now have uh, gone without... Without conceding, and yeah, Jada Wyman also, um, yeah, I think she's eclipsed the record of uh, Musa Barbieri, I do believe, during that Melbourne City uh, dominant reign in their inaugural season. So, uh, yeah, look, it was always going to be tough um, when the Raw went behind after five minutes um, to a uh, Maria Cote uh, Rojas goal, which uh, unfortunately, yeah, Rojas was a smart, smart bit of work to de- deceive sort of Annie Hafner. Had unfortunately, she had a fairly, um, you know, a not to forget, unfortunately for her. But um, but yeah, no, after that first goal, after five minutes, it was always going to be tough uh, for the Raw to break down. Um, Sydney, you know, Shay Connors had a couple of chances in the uh, first half, but outside of that, yeah, as I said before, I just think Sydney too, too strong in the end. And that is basically been the story of uh, the Raw women's season as well. Creating chances, you know, they're getting in position. It's just having that confidence uh, to really go on and finish the job. That's been really where they've uh, fallen short, unfortunately. So, And I did see a story, I think it was on Keep Up earlier today, talking about how, you know, they're not happy with their return of, I think, 14 goals from nine games just because they know they've created so many chances that it should be a whole lot more. But unfortunately, uh, that was the case. Now, Scott, we did have a debutante in the game as well. Yes, Aaliyah Devon made her debut. What was it, about five minutes to go? Give or take, somewhere around there? Yeah. Something like that, yes, yeah. the young player, player number 108 for the A-League women. So congratulations to Aaliyah, the second player from Cairns to play for the Raw this year. I think oh. something like that. I remember commentary said something about the second player from Cairns after Mia, Mia Bailey. So another yep. good young product from up north. Yep. 
There we go. All right, and we will wrap up this part of the recap with the 3-2-1 vote. So, Adam, you did tell me about 10 minutes ago who was going to be delivering it, but I've completely forgotten. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be Scott that's delivering it. So I'll handle it off what Scott. I said for that, then. <laughs> oh, I got three for Meg McGilligate, two for Jesse Rashart, and one for Trina Gore. There we go. All right, then, 24 hours later, the Raw men were in action at McDonald Jones Stadium, otherwise known as the Wind Tunnel, as they took on Newcastle Jets, and I, I, yeah, it was a frustrating night all around. 2-1 to the Jets. Juan Lascano got off the mark. I think that uh, goal has still been credited to him, at least I hope it has, based on some of the stuff I've written uh, in previews this week. But, uh, yeah, Lascano got off the mark, but unfortunately it was just a rocket from outside the box that uh, gave the Jets all three points. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, um, look, yeah, for some reason, Newcastle, the weather always seems to turn absolutely feral any time that the Raw uh, show up you know, down down there. So Even even um, when they're not playing the Jets. There was that game against Wellington, I want to say, yeah. last March or something. It was last where, year, yeah. Yeah, yeah where the, we saw the videos of like uh, Peacock and Bozza driving up the highway from Sydney to commentate on the game. And yeah, that did not look like a fun trip to make. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, it, it just seems to be. Uh, yeah, wherever the roar in town uh, in Newcastle, the, just the weather just turns absolutely feral. And um, yeah, it's no surprise given the roar's record. You no, know, I think it still is actually still pretty good at uh, McDonald Jones Stadium. But yeah, it was a game where you know luck was going to be a fortune in that weather. The rain started, and other than for a brief period around halftime, it just did not stop. And it was going to be a case of take your chances, and if you, if you get them, uh, you're, you're going to be um, yeah, you're going to be going going ahead. And uh, Newcastle took their chances. Um, I don't think Raw had too many clear cut chances other than the the Juan Lascano chance, and there was one at the end for J O'Shea other than the uh, the uh, miss penalty, I think we'll call it, um, unless you want to credit the save to the post. Uh, but um, but yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that that penalty shout in a sec. Yeah, overall, I think it was just what frustrated me is the fact that it felt like, aside from maybe a five minute stretch here or there, it was the Jets dictating the pace of play and like that, that headwind up and down the pitch. It just felt like they were always fighting it rather than trying to use it to their advantage. We saw the corners at the end, which just... Look, it, it was it was a howler of a win, so there was only so much you can do with it, but I think we can all agree it was um, a fairly frustrating night all around, Scott. Yeah, they were howlers of set pieces at the end too, by the way, but we'll let that go given the conditions. But you know, I did give PTSD flashbacks to that horrible game in 2013-14 where the ball literally stopped in the puddle and the Jets won but I agree with what you said about a 10 minute patch there in the second half where the Raw did equalise they looked quite good and then unfortunately they just switched off on the second goal for the Jets a good finish from was it Thurgate from outside the box for the second yes. goal it was a good finish but the Jets for the most part they were the better side and outside they did deserve the points yeah and I think a lot of us probably were a bit sceptical on uh, how they were going to go this season but Frustratingly, I really like the job that Arthur Pappas has been doing uh, with that team as well. And, you know, they, like pretty much everybody, have had their own interruptions and whatnot when it comes to the fixture list. But, yeah, they're, they're doing a really good job. And I think for the Raw, it's just... St- we're still waiting for them to really click the way we uh, hope they would. We are waiting for them to click. And it's getting frustrating, isn't it? Because it's, it's hot and cold. There's, there's, there's times where it is clicking, 
and then they go through patches where it just seems like they're still not quite there yet. It's just, it is getting frustrating, but we're, they're over a third of the way through the season now, so it needs if it's going to happen, it's got to happen pretty quickly. Adam? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a case of... Um, you, can, you can see the building blocks are there. They're, they're certainly there. Um, the, the combinations are starting to to appear. Um, look, Wayland Scarner, he wasn't wasn't dreadful like other than the goal he scored he was involved in a couple of set pieces uh and and whatnot um I don't know Nicola Mullins niche was good again but um but yeah it's just a case of yeah it's just two infuriating things the obviously the the first goal that they can see you know from um Savitianis, which you know Macklin Freak you know deflects on the post and then the deflection hits you know Freak in the back of their in the back of the hand, and he goes in. Uh, that that's um, as I, as the pun was saying, a freakish goal, and uh, and then the goal to concede with Thurgate, where where Matty Steinman just pretty much uh, you know lost it, lost Thurgate, who was his man, he was probably marking, and Thurgate goes from you know 25 out and and shoots straight through Corey Brown and into um and past Freak, and that, it's just a, it's just those things that those moments that are coming back to haunt him because. Overall, look, you can, when you take into account the conditions, it wasn't a bad performance for the Raw, but again, it's costly moments that are costing them. And in the end, when, when it's all said and done, um, they leave Newcastle with zero points, and they're near the bottom of the table. Scott? Yeah, I, I can't disagree with most of what Adam just said there, to be honest with you, but it's, the interesting is um, Adam's got some buses in his backdrop here on the um, <laughs> on Skype call. On his, on his Skype call. I did, did you just... Yeah, I honestly, like... I won't finish that, but... Yeah. I honestly, like, I, I can't blame Brown for that guy. I know he copped a bit of yeah. criticism online, but you look at the way he was defending that, there was a runner that he, like, based on what I can see, should have been tracking, and someone else should have been coming across to cover the shot from Thurgate, which, let's be honest, into that level of headwind, yeah. like, if, I'm, if I've got the two players to mark, I'm not expecting him to shoot from there. I, I will. I will drag um, Stormin out out from under the bus because I will say that um, look it was also as well it wasn't a clear mistake that you know watching the watching the replays that Daniel Pena who you know he's he's doing a nine eight play and he he drew him across uh, and then the pass to, to to find you know Thurgate unmarked that's probably where it happened and uh, yeah Corey Brown just didn't he, he came out and then sort of hesitated as far as shutting him down and there was just that enough space for Thurgate to shoot. Look, I won't, won't take anything away from Angus Thurgate. It was, it was a cracking shot. Um, but, but yeah, like um, there was a few defensive lapses. Maybe it was a play from Daniel Pena that created that space, and they took the opportunity. At the end of the day, it is the opportunity that they took. Yeah, that is what created the pass from Pena. But on a more serious point, as opposed to Adam and throwing people under the bus, it, the frustrating part about it is the Raw had just equalised in the game, and they were playing really well at that mm. point. If, I'm. I think the Raw were either about to make a change or I just made a change as well. They were getting, I think they were just getting ready to introduce Parsons off the bench from memory. And at that point, they were looking like they could go on with it, potentially have a comeback win like they did last year in Newcastle. And it's just been that kind of year so far, hasn't it, James, where the Raw just hasn't quite gone right for them. And that's another example of it, where they had got themselves back into the game and a momentary lapse like that unfortunately cost them the three points. It's a sustainment issue. We've seen the flashes where we know what they can do. I think they put it all together against a struggling Western Sydney team. Um, yeah, but overall, it just hasn't really um, hasn't really clicked the way that uh, we would have hoped to for 90 minutes week after week. But again, I'm I'm still a few weeks off 
calling this season a write-off just yet, unlike some of the uh, tragedy porn addicts that we're getting in our comment section. But, um, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready to rule it out. I just think now we need to start seeing, you know, they're playing every week. Let's start putting it all together, putting it all together and uh, hopefully generating some results against the teams that are, at the very least, on the same level as them. That's what's, that's what's really got me so far. Is like, the Raw are not a bad team. Like, I don't think anyone, uh, even at the training base down at um, the Gold Coast Sports and Leisure Centre, would say that, you know, they're the best team in the league and are expecting to be challenging for the title. But I think they're expecting to be in that middle-of-the-pack side that can make some noise um, against the big teams and put a scare through a couple of them. And it just hasn't really gone that way uh, that they would have hoped just yet. But yeah, hopefully, uh, as the season goes along, we'll be seeing a little bit more action going that way. Now, we will uh, wrap it up with the 3-2-1 vote, which, based on the last one, I'm assuming is going towards Scott. No, it's Adam, um, not me. Yeah. Oh, well. we, 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 did, we did trade last week. That's right. There we go. Okay, let's... Well, whoever's voted is, you say it. I feel I got the better of that trade, by the way. <laughs> you did. Um, okay, for the um, the three two ones for the uh, men's game. Three points, Nikola Muljusnic. Two points to one, Scano. One point, J. O'Shea. Well, there we go. Now, uh, let's move on to the uh, next uh, talking point that we were going to get to. And Scott, uh, penalty chat. Did you, did you want to bring up the penalty from the Newcastle game? The raw penalty. Yeah. Yeah. The VAR again taking forever. Oh, that. Yeah. Well. Clear and obvious. I, feel, I thought I should tee you up on on that because you know my opinion on VAR, but I'm sure you two both have something interesting. I'll be honest. It's been that long that whatever possible outrage I had last Thursday has kind of subsided by now. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I, the only fear as I am say, look, and watching watching back the highlights, I think it was, I think it was a penalty. Um, only because any other place in the pitch that happens, it's a free kick. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I, I know Daniel Georgievsky in the coverage in the co-coms with Simon Hill was making a point about, oh, would have Lascano gotten the ball that, but that's irrelevant. Oh, that's what it was uh, for. Yeah, the dragging yeah, back. So drag, yeah, Thurgate dragging back Lascano. But, and they said something about, oh, you know, oh, would he have gotten to the ball? But as we know, that, that's that's irrelevant. So, yeah, it's a penalty. Again, but even though it favoured the Raw, it is, it is annoying that it took four minutes. Yeah. To, it took four minutes to decide that. You know, again, if it wasn't that obvious, I would have had no problems not giving it either. Like, it's this, this, this is the problem with, with VAR. VAR is they that, seriously is, need a shot clock, don't they? 30 yep. to 40 seconds. You can't figure it out in that period of time. It's neither clear or obvious. Yeah. I yeah. It or, might be correct or incorrect, but it's not clear or obvious to overturn yeah. it. So they either need to change those two words or put a shot clock in for me. For, it takes way too long. I think you can keep clear and obvious and also put a shot clock in. But I would say make it 60 seconds and take the decision out of the on-field referee's hands. Make, yeah. it, make it like it is, uh, for lack of a better uh, example, just make it like it is in um, rugby or something where and just mic them up so they're on the big screen This is and they're explaining the decision as they go so everyone knows what's happening FIFA may have an issue with that which I believe is what they probably would which which is always because I I think from memory when it first came in that was actually part of the plan uh, that Fox were trying to bring like trying to allow VAR decisions to be uh, broadcasted 
to the audience so they know what they're looking at, but because of the FIFA laws about miking up of referees and not wanting some naughty words to get uh, sent out over the air, FIFA don't allow it and said, no, just don't... Just put some money in a brown paper bag. That always works with FIFA. Yeah, well... It's tried and tested method. We'll, we'll do it in exchange for... No, no, I was going to say... To do it, we'll, we'll do it for in exchange for two-year World Cup cycles, but no, even now... No, no, we're not... Not worth selling my soul for that. <laughs> but, okay, I will just say it on that as well, where... Wouldn't this... I just keep going back to... Like, take about six, seven years now, because it's been that long. If that ha- if we if that gets shown on the replay and, you know, Simon Hill says, oh, geez, you know, the Raw might have had a shout for a penalty here. You don't think that's something that everyone would have been blowing up about, um, saying, why can't we review that and get the calls right? Can I just go back, by the way, while we're talking about this, fast forward to the Saturday FFA Cup final. How refreshing was that? The way they handled that decision in the, was it the second half? Yep. First half. The, the, the penalty decision that was ultimately not given. The way they handled that. It was perfect. But that's what I keep so saying. They made the decision. They went and discussed it. No, he's offside. Simple. But that's where I keep saying as well. It's not that hard. We've, we've just yeah. taken the decision-making process out of the hands of the on-field referee. Not think they're starting to doubt their own ability, some of them. I, oh, I think that's... I don't think, I don't think it's a starting to. I think it's a case of VARs making them question it or think, oh, I can clear this up on replay. But, and they know that when they're reviewing their own decision as well. And that's well, that's why I don't like the on-field referee being the one to make the call, because then he's also thinking, well, I ruled it this way so that we could have a look, so now I need to go back and call it as though, like, based on what I'm seeing. Whereas if the referee is just calling the play and someone else is doing the review then the referee is saying, well, I need to get it right because if someone else comes over the top and uh, overhauls my decision, then that's the way to do it. Then that's, I feel like, a much better system. But it does also prove the point that I've been saying all along. VAR as a theory is fine. It's the people that are running it that need to, uh, I would say, be improved. Yeah, oh, that's that's exactly it. And we even see that, we saw it in the recent um, you know, test test series, both, both in here in Australia and in in uh, South Africa, where again, you know, if it's a DRS decision, it no lo- it's no longer in the hands of whether we agree with it or not. It's no longer in the hands of the the umpire in the middle. It, it actually is the third umpire that that makes a decision, rightly or wrongly. You know, we saw it in both instances where it, it's it's you saw the best and worst of it. And look, I, I just think that's what it comes down. We, we were talking before about oh whether the officials are doubting themselves. I think the assistant referees are the ones that are doubting themselves the most about calling offside. So, look, I just think the FFA Cup um, final, I think they actually showed you know, everything that is actually right with Australian football. That, that was a fantastic occasion, I yeah. must say. Look, you know, so as, as a neutral, you know, nothing else, you know, see Mariners and victory go. At the end of the day, I couldn't, couldn't have given the stuff what the result was. But it was a great occasion. So, um, it, 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 even they had two... A-League men's team playing, it, it felt more than than just, you know, a typical A-League clash. It, it felt like something more. So, uh, whatever that... I know you're not going to get 20,000 people to every single A-League game, but that, that's potential that you could that you could get. And it's actually you know, filled with excitement rather than just, the, just knowing that, oh, there's a trophy at the end of the line. It actually felt like something more than just, oh, it's a neutral game. I actually you know, would like to watch it. Where at the moment... Other than watching the Raw, I, I'm very, very hard pressed to even bothering watching any other, any other fixture in the A League at the moment, men and women. Well, I will say as well, 
just keep going on to the uh, last ever FFA Cup final because uh, that was uh, yes. that was on my run sheet. So we'll just keep digging on with it. Um, I'm actually really glad that they played that at Amy Park as well because okay, it wasn't a full stadium. It wasn't going to be because of I think the restrictions and whatnot, and the fact that it was basically confirmed on seven days' notice. But I was listening to something Laurie McKinnis said on the uh, Football A to Z podcast uh, with Michael Zapponi. And he was saying, you're not going to go from getting, you know, 3,000 to an A-League game at Gosford to getting 15,000 for a cup final. At best, you're getting seven or 8,000. And that's why, like, I'll say, you know, it did come via draw, via a draw, but uh, I, I really like the fact that they played it at Amy Park. And it also did just not... We're not going down this road before either of you get any ideas, but... How nice would it be just to have like a 25,000 seat stadium like Amy Park somewhere around central Brisbane for the Raw to call home? Even if they're sharing it with like the Reds or something. Anyway. I feel we've done that debate before, but you're right. The occasion was absolutely fantastic. And I do think to your point, if got, if got Stadium in Gosford could have been full, that would have been an occasion and a half. And that might have been justifying of it being there. But if it's only going to be a half full stadium in Gosford versus a two third full stadium down there in Melbourne with that crowd behind them. I agree with Adam. It was a fabulous occasion for Australian football, and if that is the la- it is the last FFA Cup final, final, but what a good way for that for this era of it to end. And we look forward to the new era, James, with a new name next starting this weekend. Actually, yes, it is, and actually that is why we're. Um, I just decided to keep going with this segue because uh, we've got yeah qualifying starting, uh, not even seven days after the final of the 2021 tournament took place. So. As it stands, the competition has been renamed the Australia Cup in line with the history uh, of the competition from, I want to say, the 1960s, 50s, give or take. I'm pretty sure 62, 68, I think I read. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, there we go. Well, either way, the Australia Cup, and we've got the round preliminary round two qualifiers here in Queensland starting on Friday night. And uh, we won't run through the full fixture list. That is available on uh, the Raw Review Facebook page, done up by our graphics expert, Scott, I think. Yes? Yeah, it was. Yes. There we go. Expert's a bit of a stretch, though. Not, I'm not a graphics expert in the same way. You're a football expert. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lined up. <laughs> well, well, all I will say is uh, my graphics would have just involved a lot of uh, pencils and erasers and crayons. Anyway. You don't know how I made these. That's not too far away from the truth, to be honest. <laughs> Either way, there are some uh, interesting um, interesting ties coming up this weekend. Uh, Nambour Yandini United, Ormo FC is one that does leap out to me as well, as does Tarragindi Tigers against Kiwana FC. That's going to be on Saturday as well. Um, I, I'm Since I haven't heard anything about uh, broadcasting for this weekend, I'm just going to say the best way to consume these fixtures is to get out to the local yeah, club and no. watch the matches in person because you never know, we might get a Magic of the Cup run because I believe it is all the FQPL three teams and down taking part in this round. Um, and then they will be, which uh, was originally the Brisbane Premier League and down, basically, plus Gold Coast Premier League, Sunshine Coast Premier League and all of that. So those are the clubs that will be in action. Scott, which uh, match are you looking forward to? As always in this early phase of the Cup, James, self-interest is where you look. And I look to my two former clubs here in the Football Brisbane Pyramid, or Football Queensland Pyramid now. Acacia Ridge are playing Ripley Valley, and Ridge Hills are playing Centenary Storm. So I wish both all the best. Adam? 
I've got, I've got two choices as well. My local team, uh, Pine Rivers Athletic, they are hosting uh, Deception Bay Dragons at the mighty Wendy Allison Park on Friday night. So I may or may not make an appearance. See how I feel. Um, and the other game that I know that... Uh, that I know that uh, Football Queensland were pushing on the draw is the the, the so-called tertiary cup between <laughs> ACU and uh, UQ, which uh, there is a bit of a golf. Uh, the F- uh, ACU are in FQPL 6 versus UQ, UQFC, who are in FQPL 3. And I, I dare say that the that the uh, visitors will probably go heavy favourites. But uh, Do the yeah. winners play QUT? by the way, on their new synthetic field there at Kelvin <laughs> Grove. You Wouldn't never know. Bad prize, actually, but yeah, so I assume two Griffiths games, are but... forfeiting their tie against um, QUT. <laughs> yeah. Must be. Must be. I can yeah. make that joke as a form of Griffith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, Friday night actually could be really interesting as well. AC Karina Brisbane Knights FC. So that should be uh, another interesting clash. So yes, get out to the grounds and uh, take in the first lot of competitive local football for the calendar year 2022 because we also have the NPL uh, starting up before too long as well. We should uh, make one final point for the uh, 2021 FFA Cup. Big congratulations to Finn Beekers from Lions FC who won the Mike Cockrell medal as the best uh, member federation, I think it's the official name of it, uh, member federation club. Uh, And I believe that's the second win in a row for a Queensland-based player, Scott? It is um, Finn... Fraser Hills of Finn Hills. Fraser Hills of the Strikers won it back in 2019 for his exploits, taking them to the semi-finals. So it is back-to-back winners for football Queensland players. And so who will be uh, in line to take out the Mike Cockrell medal for 2022? I just have to wait and see. But uh, there are a few Queenslanders that could be in the mix, even if they aren't technically Queenslanders. We'll just claim them the way that a lot of the Victorian clubs claim the Queenslanders they poach. Now, hey, I'll be, I'll be happy with the Queenslander playing for an MPL Victorian club. There's plenty of those. Yeah, you mean well, the MPL Southern Conference, right? No, that's not one. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, that's about 70% of the players down there, so... Yep. And the we other are, 30 are, we are to... West Australian and South Australian, James. I was, I was going to say, yeah, from... Well, yeah, some of them are international players from, you know, England, Europe... Perth. Anyway, so I was just going to say, are we allowed to claim Joy Ingham and that? That's uh, yes. That one seems he's uh, he transferred from Gold Coast Knights down to our mates at South Melbourne. Yes, South Brisbane. South Brisbane. Yes. All right. Um, the other point that has just come up in terms of uh, cup competitions in 2022, Football Queensland have just announced that 68 teams from across across Queensland will compete in the second edition of the Kappa Women's Super Cup. And the opening rounds draw will take place at 6 p.m. on Thursday, the 10th of February, on the Football Queensland Facebook page. So there we go. More cup football coming your way. And uh, yeah. Now, for our filler for the week, and following on from our Socceroos discussion uh, last time out, as I see Scott and Adam frantically grabbing their pieces of paper, we did come up with the idea of naming our Socceroos squads for the Japan and Saudi Arabia match and it did actually spark some interesting discussion on us during the week Not neither of us know who the others have uh, picked but uh, it did spark some interesting ideas on different selections that you could make as well because uh, the first thought that I had was and I know this may cause uh, Scott to wince as I say this qualification direct qualification is still 
in the hands of the Socceroos, albeit unlikely, uh, because if they do somehow, again, unlikely, find a way to beat Japan and Saudi Arabia, they will get there. But let's be honest, I think we're all prepping for the two matches and then the AFC playoff and hopefully the intercontinental playoff from there. But I actually had the question of, if they decide, you know what, we're going to give it a red-hot go, but our priority now is getting the best possible side in line for the 2023 Asian Cup, as well as the World Cup qualifiers, uh, to give us the best chance of making the uh, North American tournament in 2026, would you start to maybe pluck a few more players from the Oli Roos? So that was something that came up as well. My side, I admit, I went... I tried to pick the best side that was available and I hoped would give the Socceroos the chance of pulling off the unlikely double. Scott, what was your approach to picking your team? I picked a team I think could actually compete with Japan. That's the way I based it. Oh, if you want me to name some players, if you want to Not just go yet. through the Not... potentially throw it up in the air and go for 2023 and We'll beyond, come back to that I've later. I've got some young players for that, but the team I picked is a team I think could actually give us our best chance of beating Japan and Saudi Arabia. Adam, um, you didn't go for the dartboard method, did you? No, no. I'm uh, I'm a firm believer that at the moment I'm not even thinking about beyond beyond June this this year. I'm not even thinking I'm not even thinking Qatar. I'm thinking Socceroos have got two potentially four games, and I just went, you know what? We're going to pick the best best possible team that we that we can have the the best you know eleven players the Australian the Australian qualified and you know, uh, citizens residents whatever you want to call it and you got to go for it. All right. Well, yeah. So I so the way I wound up picking my team was yeah the bit the side that would at least give Australia the best possible chance of getting maximum points from the next two matches, um, even if it was a win and a draw and then hoping for a miracle in the other match. Uh, the one thing that actually did surprise me, just going through the lists of available players, there are some spots that are quite deep as well in terms of, if not out-and-out first-team talent, then potential. Because you look at some of the groups of players, and yeah, I, I stuck with the 4-3-3-ish formation that they seem to have been playing lately, and I've kind of gone for that combination of uh, yeah, talent and players who could be that unknown X-Factor going forward. So, I'll go first. Uh, the goalkeeper, Matt Ryan. Central defensive pairing of Milos Degenek and Trent Sainsbury. And I think I speak for all three of us when I say Harry Sutar would have been pairing paired with Trent Sainsbury if his knee was uh, functioning. The fullbacks, Joel King on the left. I thought he was really impressive on debut against Vietnam. And I think, frankly, he's going to be the soccerer's left back for the next decade if he wants to be. And then right back, Nathaniel Atkinson. I think right now there's nothing that any of the other guys have done that have really said uh, they've really earned their spot in the team right now. So I say give Atkinson a go. Midfield, I've gone for a flat, flat-ish flat three. I've got Kenny Dougal uh, operating as a holding midfielder. Uh, and then Aaron Moy and Riley McGree sitting just in front as that sort of I suppose they'll be the two nominal attackers, but those guys will um, all be able to f- play a bit of a role because I just don't think that number 10 is going to suit them over the next two games. Um, wingers, Martin Boyle and Andrew Naboot. And then up front, Jamie McLaren. And if you want the guys who 
probably would be my impact subs. Brandon Barello, Craig Goodwin, and Tom Rogic. But that's up to you guys. Adam, you can go next. Yep, all right. Well, like I said, based on my sort of my explanation, my side would be as it follows. Um, obviously, Matt Ryan, captain and goalkeeper. Uh, I don't think there's any others... Uh, Really, realistically, you can go there. Um, back four of Mills Degenek, uh, Trent Sainsbury, Curtis Good, and Brad Smith. Uh, midfield, Massimo Luongo. Uh, what Tom was Morgan, your back four again? Can you say that again? Uh, Degenek, Sainsbury, Good, and Smith. Fair enough. Uh, Massimo Luongo, uh, who's coming back apparently. Oh, God, I forgot about I, him. I, I would, I would There's definitely... There's the first one. Uh, I definitely would have him in... Um, so Tom Rogic and Aaron Moy, somehow those three have got to make it work. I think they're the three best midfields we've got, irrespective of the Lampard-Gerrard syndrome. And my forward, my forward line, uh, Martin Ball, Jamie McLaren, and Adam Taggart. All right. So a few changes uh, there. Scott, what about you? I've made three changes from the team, which um, disappointed in the last game. Matt Ryan's in goal. A back four of Fran Karasic... Trent Sainsbury, Milos Degenek, and Jason Davidson. I think he's in ripping form, and I, I can show a point. I don't think any of the other left backs have done anything to justify their position. So, and he's got experience. So I bring him back in. Uh, midfield, James Jago, and I almost went with Jackson Irvine next to him as a more solid midfield too. But I can't leave out Aaron Moy in these must-win games. So Jago and Moy, and then Martin Boyle, Tom Rogic, Aiden Rustich on the left, and Jamie McLaren up front. And you want some bench options? I had um. Chris Economides, Riley McGree, Craig Goodwin, and Nikita Rukovitsa is in yep. good form over there in Israel as an attacking option. So if we need a goal for the bench, he might be be the man. So there's some of the guys I had on the bench. Hrustic is one of those interesting players where I kind of feel like he's going to be a more steady presence than Tom Rogic, but maybe isn't that X-factor player when he's on his game. But yeah, it was, it was interesting, like just trying to decide, do you go for that? versatile midfield three, or do you basically have someone like Rogic who essentially acts as a second striker when you need him to? And that's kind of what, yeah, that's kind of interesting how we all sort of approach that a little bit differently, but also as well. So I'll just, I'll just throw, I just forgot to add my sort of bench players. In fact, um, I, I'm going Aiden Grustich, uh, Craig Goodwin. And also as well, I think, yeah, Nikita Rukovica, he's one that's seemed to go under everyone's radar, but look, he's scoring goals. Why, why not give him eight goals this year so far yeah. over there in the Israeli Premier League, which is a decent level for decent soccer who's player yeah. standards and is in good goal scoring form. Yeah, without a doubt. I also have Leckie in my squad, but I'm not using him. He's more of an experienced guy in and around the group. Yeah, so I'm. People wonder where Matt Leckie is. He is in my extended squad, but he's a break glass and emergency type of a type of use player. Yeah, so I actually wound up coming up with almost three different lots of uh, 11s as well so like my second 11 was like not counting any of the starting players that I uh, thought of um, Izzo and goals McGowan and Bailey Wright as uh, central defenders Karasic and Callum Elder as fullbacks Rogic Jonro and Metcalf as your midfield trio because I admit I forgot about Mass Luongo and um, then the front three of Borello Taggart and Goodwin did you want my second 11 by the way yeah, why not? All right, so it was Vukovic, Atkinson, Deng, McGowan, Bayich, Irvine, McGree, Economides, Lecky, Goodwin, Rukovitsa. There we go. The dog ate my homework on the second one. <laughs> <laughs> the dog ate your homework on the first 11, didn't it? But just, yes. but just looking at some of those names as well. So I did go through 
past and present Oli Roos squads as well, just to find some, I suppose, under-23s impact players who maybe you start to think about in terms of uh, long-term uh, prospects. Um, there was that Jay Rich Baguelu? Baguelu? Yep. Uh, who's playing in the league. Palm Beach kid. Yeah, who's been loaned out from Crystal Palace to uh, Accrington Stanley. Um, you've got Caleb Watson, Tyrese Francois, even Daniel Arzani. I'm still not ready to rule him out uh, yet. Because no. I think he's still um, a, very, a very interesting sort of player as our producer just uh, chimes in as well. She also thinks that um, Daniel Arzani is a great player, doesn't she, Trixie? Big fan. Yep, definitely. But overall, it's just... There's a lot... Like, there is depth there but I suppose the way I keep looking at it is when you've got nine players for three spots you really don't have anyone and that's kind of how I uh, break it down as well but I really want to see Brandon Barella get a run out in the next lot of qualifiers as well even if it is just coming in off the bench um, yeah and so look at those guys as well Marco Tilio as well uh, yeah even Kai Rolls like there's there are players who you yeah. know can come in and do a job. It's just a case of actually settling on the guys who... And finding that balance as well. Because this is the other, um, I suppose, Socceroos discussion point that kind of came up on Saturday as well during that FFA Cup final. We know Graham Arnold's contract runs until after the 2022 World Cup. If you're Football Australia, and Adam, we'll start with you on this. If they miss out on an automatic qualification spot... Do you do you think about pulling the plug and bringing in a new coach for the playoffs? Oh, I wouldn't, because I think the no, turnaround. No, look to to be honest. Um, no, I, I'm I'm of the proponent that realistically, that a national team manager should only have a four year stint irrespective unless unless you go and win it you do a, a Yogi Low or something like that then then you probably deserve another four years but I think in most cases I, I think I'd be pulling the plug on I'm not pulling the plug but either way I'd be pulling the plug on Graham Arnold irrespective if it was in the playoffs you know first round of the World Cup you know or I'll, I'll just have a new coach ready and lined up for the next phase of qualifying in a, in a year's time you're starting with the Asian Cup yeah well that's well we'll I, I would, I would, irrespective, unless Let him it's a complete utter disaster, yeah. and I'm talking about two, back-to-back six nils against Japan and Saudi Arabia, look, I, I say, you know what, give him the benefit of the doubt, and at least let him finish off the playoffs. If Australia gets knocked down the playoffs, well, it's an easy, it's an easy decision. I'm, I don't think he will even wait for the push. I think he will, he will resign. So, I think, yeah, let, let it run its course. That's, that's my opinion. And as well... If you're bringing in a new manager, whether it's a local option, uh, you know, overseas mercenary or something kind of like what uh, Van Marwijk was in 2018, you're not like they're not going to have the time to really get to know this squad, and that's that's why I say like, Arnie's gotten them to this point. You kind of because uh, of the admittedly pandemic uh, situation, you, you're sinking or swimming with him now. It must be brilliant. Enough. There's only one option you could go to if you were going to change coach. It's Tony Popovich. You can't go to an overseas coach because they don't know the players. You're going to be bringing a new assistant to work with to whoever the new coach is, and that assistant is going to be basically advising that new coach on on the talent you have available. So we're stuck with Graham Arnold for these these this next few months. I mean, I kind of agree with Adam. At the end of this cycle, unless he gets to the round of 16, which is probably not going to happen. Let's be honest. He's, he's gone after the World Cup and someone else is in charge 
for the friendlies ahead of the Asian Cup, which I think is in June in 2023 in China. So that's the way it ends for Graham Hunt at some point in the next eight months. Hopefully it ends in in Qatar somewhere and deep in the knockout rounds, but oh, you can't change it now. It's too late. There's not enough time. Yeah, and that's, and that's the other point as well, where if you... If, you know, uh, Arnold does resign or if, um, you know, he is pushed, I kind of feel like you're basically committing then to going and spending a couple of million dollars on hiring someone for a nine-month stint in charge because I wouldn't want to see Tony Popovich brought in. I wouldn't want to see Kevin Musket, who to me is the only other Australian option. I wouldn't want to see either of those two start with the playoffs where they're essentially being put in a you know, boom or bust situation where if they can work their magic and get Australia to the World Cup through the playoffs, great. But again, let's play the odds here. They're probably going to wind up falling just short and the soccer is going to miss out on the uh, World Cup. And that's then putting them behind the eight ball where you're going to get the criticism of who's going to be, who's going to be um, you know, really trusting them going into the Asian Cup then. Scott? And this goes back to 2005 when Frank Farina didn't necessarily achieve expectations at the Confederations Cup and they binned him and brought in Hussidink and everyone thinks, oh, because it worked in 2005, we managed to get Hussidink and it all went well finally. It's the path to go down to change coaches for the playoffs, but that's such a risky strategy. Yeah. It's I think it's... Because don't forget, Hussidink, I think they drew in Solomon Islands. Yeah, People no, forget no. they drew in the Solomon Islands and they, and they nearly messed it up against Japan in the first game at the World Cup, so... It's a bit of roast in the glass of the thing, as much as we all love it. it. It went very, very fortunate for Australia and him. But I don't think it's a blueprint of, oh, every time you're in the playoffs, just change the manager. I think that's way too simplistic and way too risky in this situation. Because I remember, I know Football Australia have been putting out the message recently, oh, the game can afford to miss the World Cup. Really? Are you sure about that? Financially, are you sure we can afford to miss the World Cup? I don't think so. There's actually two points, uh, you know, both... That both there and Scott brought up. The first point is that 2005, that that 2016. You look at the team that that was. Like at the end of the day, Goods Hitting was there to just top it, was to top it off, and yeah, and obviously had lent his experience. But at the end of the day, that was, as history will recall, that was you know probably probably the greatest Socceroos team since probably the 70s. So look at the end of the day, yeah, that's not going to work every single time. So. So, you know, at the end of the day, we can't always expect to, you know, every time we start to run in a spot of bother, that we just decide, oh, let's, let's bring in a high gun. Because it's going to backfire at one point. And I reckon it would backfire if, if we don't get, you know, if we end up finishing third and you, and you fire Graham Arnold, I don't think there's a coach out there that is good enough to get this collection of players that, you know, that is, is almost guaranteed to make the, the World Cup through the playoffs. At the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to go with what you what you're going. With. It comes down to the players being good enough to get past you know, UAE and then potentially Uruguay or whoever it is uh, the intercontinental thing. The other point I want to make that you know and Scott's right about you know saying well can really football Australia afford to miss a World Cup? And I, I say well they they should be able to because they they shouldn't be putting all their eggs in the basket of oh we have to qualify to to and uh, you know be financially sound. You know, it's it's like you you yes from a sporting aspect, yes, you want to be going to a six World Cup straight. But where is the financial diligence of saying, Okay, if it doesn't happen, that's just disrespect to the Asian Confederation thinking that oh, Australia just walk on through and oh if it's not, it's a failure. 
Of course, it's a failure from a sporting point of view, but from a business point of view and government's point of view, like, you know, there should be, like, there should be more responsibility on that. It always seems boom bust, doesn't it? If we don't qualify, mm. there's financial implications. There's also um, interest in the game implications, mm. James. I mean, when we're not there, it's a big difference. But think back five years ago on the coaching thing, Bert van Marwijk. How excited were we all to get him as the when that was announced that he was going to be the man to come in and replace Ange? We were all excited by that. How'd that pan out? Yeah. I don't think any of us were excited by a single minute of that campaign, were we? Under, under Bird, it wasn't exactly... Well, the France game was pretty damn exciting. I think the other thing I was shocked that, was, that we was the peak of it, But it wasn't yeah. exactly free-flowing football we were all hoping for, was it? No, but I mean, that like that France game... It went was... straight back to that defensive yeah. first mentality because he didn't think the players were good enough. Yeah, and like the one thing I feel like we're all taking away from like looking at the list of available players for the Socceroos as well, this is very much a side in transition right now. Like, if it was a club team, you'd be saying, eh, they're closing in on probably needing a bit of a reboot. And I kind of feel like that, you know, generation of guys in their late 20s, early 30s, you know, like a Matt Leckie, uh, etc., they may start to, you know, you may start to say, well, look, yes, you're still probably the best player at your position, but you're not the best player we're hoping you're not going to be the best player in four years. You know, you look at those sorts of guys and maybe that's, that's probably going to be the remit of the uh, new coach as well is bring in the new players because, you know, that to his credit, that's something that Ange has done better than any Socceroos manager uh, since um, the FFA rebranding in the mid-2000s. And I know there was an argument that, was it um, Pim Verbeek brought in a whole bunch of new players as well, but... How many of those guys were necessary A-League call-ups because the Asian qualifiers were taking place outside of FIFA windows? And Japan do this better than anybody in Asia, James. The last three Asian Cups, they basically brought new teams to the Asian Cup. They haven't really necessarily been trying to win it. They've been trying to blood players for the next campaign. They view that as the start of the cycle, which is what we should start doing, yep. instead of trying to carry on and, yep. and just hold on to get to the Asian... I know 2015, we all wanted to win it because it was at home. And maybe if Japan had a home Asian Cup, they would have a similar attitude. But generally speaking, they view that as the start of their four-year cycle to get to the World Cup, and they try players out there ahead of World Cup qualifying. Maybe the new coach should do the same. Yeah. I, I would be more confident with this group, save a few, bring a few youngsters in, you know, send, send, give, give the thank yous out to some of the older players. I'd be more confident in this group you know, for, for a 2026 World Cup. Because um, if, you, if you're looking at it, you know, in, in a club perspective, you'd be saying, okay, this this is a this is a rebuild sort of cycle where you know, you, you, like I'm not saying again, I'm not saying oh you want to miss the World Cup, but it's almost like this is a rebuilding. The best the best of a lot of these players in this squad are not going to be in eight eight ten months time. I think it's going to be in two three years time on the road to the USA. Yep. All right, we could probably keep going on that, but uh, one final question. Um, the next, uh, well, let's say, after the 2022 World Cup, complete the sentence, we'll start with you, Scott. The Socceroos manager will be? Tony Popovich. Adam? No idea. <laughs> but, but I really don't. I, I, I don't know where they go from here. Do they go a foreign you know, coach or they go homegrown? Look, I think Tony Popovich would be a great Choice, if, but he then again, double, if he wins a trophy this year with victory in the league, it's going to be Popovich. Yep. I think he's probably deserving of it, but uh, yeah, look, I, at the moment, I still, there's four yeah. games you have to worry about in, in June. I, I'm i leaning towards Popovich. I think 
he was originally from memory earmarked to take over from Ange, and then that uh, little sojourn over to Europe around that time kind of threw the uh, schedule off a little bit. But I think it's going to be Popovich, and he. And I know be... the leagues are separate now, James, but I, I think they can get Popovich out of victory much easier than they could get Musket out of Japan. Oh yeah, and I think I think that would be the reason why it's Popovich ahead of ahead of um, Musket. And watch the victory. Um, wonder why they're not getting. Uh compensation for someone taking a manager who was under contract. Graham Arnold at Melbourne Victory, how how funny would that be? Could you imagine it? There's a trade. <laughs> could, I, could, you, uh, could you imagine the Victory fans self-combusting at the thought of this? Oh, make it happen just for that reason. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we will quickly um, just touch on the coming doubleheader on Sunday. And, uh, well, the Raw did announce a new signing for their squad as well. 26-year-old Japanese Forward Rio Wada, who will hopefully spawn all sorts of uh, Wada-related pun headlines over the coming um, over the coming weeks. I'm not sure if he will be involved in the uh, squad on Sunday, but what we do know is the women will be playing Adelaide United um, at 3 p.m. Brisbane time up at Morton Daly Stadium, followed by a 5:45 kickoff for the men playing Macarthur FC. Adam, starting with the women, what are you looking for from them this weekend? Look, I'm just hoping for a better performance than against Sydney and actually show that, they, that they're at least competitive against, you know, the top teams. Um, like I said, it's, like I said, Adelaide are travelling very well. They, they look like they're finally going to break the, break the duck and actually make finals football. And um, I think they're going to be right in confidence. I think Rock are probably good enough on their day to disrupt that. But um, I'd look, performance-wise, I just hope that they can, you know, be better than they were against Sydney. Scott? I think Raw can beat Adelaide. It's just if they take the chances or not. They'll, they'll create the chances to do it. Will they take them? Maybe, maybe not. Adelaide have been quite good this year, to be fair to them. It does look like, to Adam's point, they will potentially break that drought of not never making the finals. But if Brisbane have any any chance of making the finals, and let's be honest, it's a slim one at the moment. I think there's seven points behind Perth, who are in fourth, and there's games in hand in Perth's favour as well. So it's a very slim chance. But if they're going to start that journey, it has to be three points. Points against Adelaide, that's non-negotiable. Back to Rio Wada, that's a really good signing, isn't it? And in terms of we'll get onto the, war... the men's side in a second. Scott. Okay, all right, fine, I'll save it. He's yeah. cheaping the bit. To... Yeah, I know this is this is a uh, very eager Scott, which it's only taken fifty-three <laughs> minutes to uh, come out, but there we go. And six seasons worth of doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, well, look for, for me, it comes down to uh, what's Marge Simpson's favorite brand of dishwashing detergent? Finish. So I want to see the, the strikers, you know, Connors, Kramer, McGilligan, McGrath, whoever's playing up front, finish your chances, and as a team, finish the game. I feel that was a good joke that we just both completely missed. I know. So maybe we yeah. need to, maybe we're, we're we're to take our chances as well. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're Simpson savants as well. Normally we we normally yeah I don't want to I don't know what happened there. I don't know. That was also just a subtle product placement. <laughs> so, but either way, yeah, that's what I'm uh, really hoping for. Um, from the Raw, we've seen them be in games going into the final 10 minutes and I just kind of hope that if they've got the lead or you know their level, they find a way to play out those uh, last 10 minutes and finish the game the stronger of the two sides as well and I've got a sneaking suspicion as well we could be in for a big game from Holly Palmer she looks like she's slowly getting herself back into uh, fitness after finishing the NPL season in a moon boot and she could prove to be one of those X-Factor players come Sunday afternoon. 
Yeah, I just we both missed that because I use Mr. Sparkle as my dishwashing detergent. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, now Scott, Rio One, yes. go for it. I think he's. I think it's a really good signing, isn't it? I mean, he's a pretty experienced player in Japan in that front third, and I think it's going to be a pretty good addition for the in that front third. We mentioned a few weeks ago, we, James, we did that exercise of would you bring players in in January, and I think we all said across the board in every position, yeah, they were all good use something and I think Rio Wada could be that player in the front third. Hopefully it's more Riku Danzaki than Masato Kudo in terms of impact on the A-League squad but I think it's certainly worth a chance isn't it? He, he, the Raw, they are struggling to score goals let's be honest that it's not been and not just in the women's side where the, there's been a lack of goals in the men's side the same is true although Milius is just starting to turn that around they could use an extra player in that front third and he might be the player to spark things and if he is I think it's a good signing and on that as well, it seems like he has the ability. He can play centrally, he can play wide, so he can sort of mix and match depending on who you're coming up against. And it sounds like he could be, I suppose, a bit of a placeholder for uh, Luke Ivanovic as well because I'm not sure how far away he is with his quad injury. Yeah, that, that's the that's the big, um, I guess, the big question is uh, where's Luke Ivanovic, you know, when he comes back? You know, where does he fit, you know... It's almost like, yeah, just didn't, can't get caught in the comparison hoping that um, Rio Wada is going to do the same things as Riku Danzaki because that was a build over a season where, where Wada really needs to get to work and make an impact, you know, now almost. Um, once he does sort of, you know, a few games acclimatised. Um, but yeah, I think all of a sudden we've gone from, I think, you know, Mil- I think he he's, he's, you know, a lock in that, in that front line. It's then the combination of Ivanovic when he's uh, healthy, you know, do you, where, where does Lascano fit, you know, is he starting to finally, you know, um, over another goal on, on Thursday night was still fairly fortunate rather than, you know, good luck, but you saw some good signs there. Where does Wada come in? Henry Hall we're starting to see develop a little bit. Even, you know, you know, we've, I think we're all hoping and praying to a point that, uh, you know, uh, Jez Lofthouse can, you know, somehow make an impact further down the road. So, all of a sudden, it's gone from nothing to everything. I think you know places in that front line and com- competition places. Hopefully, it sparks the best. Well, Adam, you asked where does Wada come in. I'm fairly certain the initial entry points will be in Cronulla and Essendon. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's usually at full time when they want testing done, isn't it? <laughs> Something like that. Okay, that's uh, the start of the puns. Now, for this game against Macarthur, I will lead off in terms of what I'm looking for from this. Three points. MacArthur is one of those sides that you really should be uh, beating. They really didn't look that good against Wellington on the weekend as well. And I only think, like, if the Raw come out and play the way they did against Western Sydney, they should win this game. You just need that intensity. Hopefully, you know, playing with the crowd at their back as well is going to give them something that, uh, that they're really going to go for. Scott? I'm sure Warren's done his homework, but you mentioned that game against Wellington. Josh Saturio had an absolute field day running in behind. And Which think, says it all, really. Yeah, you think it, it does, given his profligacy in front of goals historically. But you look at the players, that he's a typically a quick player, right? Look at the Raw's front third. They, they should be having a field day getting in behind that MacArthur defence with the likes of Millie Uznich and company. So, three points. Again, the men's side, they need to start picking up points as well. I want three points in this game as well. That's what they need. It has to be. And I think they've got the weaponry take advantage of this MacArthur side. As much as it looks looks nice and all the rest of it, the De Villa and the Danny De Silva and all the rest of it, it's not clicking that well down there at the moment for them. So I think this is a great opportunity for the Raw at home. And on that as well, just uh, talking about playing those 
quick plays through. This could be where Lascano maybe has to turn a little bit more into that playmaker role as well, because we saw him dropping deep and looking to bring other players in. So perhaps he might operate, you know, with a little bit uh, of a deeper setup to try and let the uh, speedier wingers run through. Yeah, I think the, the key to this game, I think it's going to be... Uh, Raw need to get a fast start. They need to, to get the momentum behind them. I think the longer this game um, stays nil all and it sort of draws out, the more there's a chance that, you know, MacArthur are going to find a sucker punch, you know. And, and I, I think, yeah, one, once they've got they've got momentum rolling, they, they're going to be hard to peg back. So, look, I think it's almost a first-goal win scenario um, where, where the Raw are home. They need to come out. They need to really... You know, put pressure on you know the, the MacArthur defence and really sort of you know, you know, go for broke because yeah, and and we've seen that cup in the in the games against MacArthur, um, you break them early, you, you you break them completely. Yeah, and especially this is where playing at home with hopefully a fairly supportive crowd uh, behind them will really you know you score in the first twenty minutes, give the fans something to really get up yeah. and energetic about as well. We know how loud it can get in that um, undercover stadium, uh, undercover side of the stadium as well. So hopefully that is something that we will be seeing um, heading into, uh, well, let's say the half hour mark on Sunday. Now, next week, the Raw are playing on Wednesday away to Wellington. That venue is still to be confirmed. My gut feeling is it's going to be a Bankwest stadium. Not Bankwest, what is it now? Combank? Combank. Combank Stadium. Combank. Um, du- uh, double header because the Wanderers are also at home that night against Melbourne Victory. So, my best guess, um, we will have to confirm the details for the show next week. But I will not be here because I've got, uh, well, family commitments. If I'm being completely honest, so uh, it will definitely be Scott and Adam, and there may be another fill-in as well. Um, I, th- I think. Uh... We, we'll, we'll decide who our third member is going to be before they decide where the venue's going to be. Okay, there we go. We'll lock that one in then. Um, in the meantime, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, gentlemen. And Scott. Good to talk to you again, boys. And I think we did a pretty damn good job getting over an hour out of the past week in uh, Brisbane Raw and Australian football, so kudos to us. Um, enjoy the Super Bowl on Monday. My tip, LA Rams to win by 1 to 13 points, 30-something to 20-something. And, uh, well, Scott and Adam and a mystery person will be back with the next edition of the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you then.